0: Welcome to Married to Movies. Industry insiders John Russell and Tracy Kring live and work happily in cinema matrimony. They're sharing behind the scenes adventures of writing, producing and appreciating films.
1: Good morning, babe. Good morning,
2: babe. How you doing? Doing
1: good. Well, we're having a lovely breakfast of some fruit salad.
2: Yes, this is fruit that uh, was going past its prime and uh, you need to put it all together before it goes bad.
1: And it's good that we're just having fruit this morning because we had the stuff you wanted yesterday. Oh
2: man, that was good. Ugly chicken, Korean fried chicken. I don't know, have, have people had Korean fried chicken? Is it like a thing that most people know about? Oh.
1: Um. You know, I think it's been around. They have realized that it's actually more of a specialty item. Whereas, like, you could have gotten fried chicken, like, for a long time. But they're like, oh, this is a unique take on fried chicken that we should kind of make more specialty.
2: I'm not sure what makes it really Korean fried chicken. I mean, I... What is it that's different than like the kernel? It's crispy that's that that's one of the big things is it's it's super 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 crispy but the flavors man oh my god
1: well, it was lovely and it was just enough spice to you know get like, your nose a little active it was like
2: sweet and and spicy and garlicky and
1: whenever I eat out I like to eat foods that I can't make at home. Mm -hmm. I'm not really going to choose to eat at Olive Garden. Mm. I can make a big salad and I can make most of those dishes on my own and they're going to be better. And like healthier than god only knows what they're putting in theirs I could not make that chicken yesterday
2: i got on a couple of uh phone calls yesterday with uh going projects um what we've really learned is that you have to basically you have the immediate thing that you're working on whatever you're doing right now today right and then there is what you're working on that's a little bit longer term like you know it In In a couple couple of months. A couple of months, something like that. And then you have your, like... Long ball. Years from now. Uh, I have a couple of those. One of my most frustrating things in my life is whenever somebody says to me, Oh, I thought you weren't interested in that anymore because I didn't hear from you.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: You know? Because that's my fault.
1: Right. You lost that opportunity. Right. Just because you didn't send an email every couple weeks. Right. Send
2: an email or, you know, or have a phone call or something to just kind of keep you in the mix of, oh yeah, this is someone that I know, this is someone that I haven't had an opportunity to work with yet, but I would like to have an opportunity to work with. And this lady uh, who I am uh, friends with, uh, I believe I met her through Lunch Club uh, for the first time. Yeah, so it's been like, you know, a pretty long period of time. And she's always talking about like four or five different projects and one of them will sort of move to the front and the others will fall back and she'll start working on that and then that one will kind of fall back and then another one will move to the front. And it's a constant, you know, dance with her uh, to find out which one of the projects is actually has momentum.
1: Well, and that's the thing. Whichever thing is, is getting traction, you know, you go with that movement.
2: Right. The projects keep moving around, but they don't actually, you know, seem to coalesce. They don't seem to come together. Uh, wh- what's your way of... Sort of uh, making that determination. Like, is this still a viable thing?
1: Well, I guess I also kind of survey the times mm-hmm. and make sure that the idea is still fresh. Because mm-hmm. honestly, I'm not even going to keep it in rotation if it needs work to be refreshed.
2: I have a lot of uh, fear of sort of magical thinking, any form of like
1: that's your religiousness.
2: Yeah, no 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 no, it's not it's it's not my religiousness. It is though. No, I want I want to avoid that sort of idea, you know. At, and I feel like conspiracy theory a, a lot of it can be based in sort of like, you know, there's this big dark evil whatever whatever in the Here's world, the thing. <laughs> and it's trying to you know destroy us all for what purpose we don't even know. I think, it know? Makes life I think it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous.
1: Look, King James commissioned the Bible to be written, and also had a book on demonology written.
2: Right. Okay. Right.
1: I mean, you want
2: your you want a little weird in your life. Mm, I, I I can see what you're saying. I can see what you're saying. A little,
1: something just to make you think, like, hmm, none of this is figured out.
2: Well, I do enjoy, you know, what I find, besides just the weird, I enjoy sort of uh, going down the rabbit hole a little bit of uh, people and artists and things like that that I don't know a lot about. Like, yesterday was, I believe, the uh, birthday of uh, Dorothy Parker, and um, I started to like, uh, read up a little bit and saw some of her quotes and stuff. And, you know, we all know about like Dorothy Parker and the vicious circle, you know, that she had the, uh, Algonquin round table, of basically a bunch of really cool people who would like sit around together and talk philosophy and talk shit about people. Right. But she also, uh, was a, a, uh, writer, uh, in like a, uh, Screenwriter, which I did not know that, oh. and she's one of the writers of A Star Is Born.
1: Oh, interesting! So A Star
2: Is Born, which is a movie that has been made and remade and remade, mm-hmm. uh, is it comes from sort of that you know very funny, kind of cynical world of uh, Dorothy Parker, which I thought was uh, really, really interesting. interesting. And she was also a, a giant alcoholic. Interesting. <laughs>
1: Well, I had a really cool triumph yesterday. Um, a documentary that I've been working on for... I think I signed the initial contract at the end of 2018. Mm-hmm. They did a festival run. They took it from a feature-length film to a cut-down Fifty six forty for pbs in order to actually get it into distribution the producer has been going through a lot of legal and typically whenever you know you go for your errors and omissions insurance you know the you have to prove your sources and you know you give them all of your information on your archival and all that right the lawyer he's hired is a really good lawyer and maybe you know there's there's doctors who'll give you prescriptions if you pay them 75 bucks sometimes when you're getting your E&O you know these kinds of lawyer these kinds of lawyers are also getting hired where mm-hmm. They're like pay me $300 and I'll sign off on your film but if crap hits the fan they're they're going to be nowhere
2: yeah so this is a lawyer who's like dead serious about everything well
1: all of his points are if i it, Everything always comes down to, what would my argument be in the courtroom? Can Uh I defend this decision? And a
2: lot of this has to do with the rights of music.
1: Well, it is a doc about musicians. And they're playing music in it. Now most of the music is very old. It is Beethoven. It's Grieg. It's Mozart. It's, you know, very old music. Years ago when they first started filming, they filmed a concert and they knew that they were not going to be able to get the rights to the music. They just told me as the editor, don't use any of that. Were
2: they filming just to have B-roll? Like just to have extra footage?
1: Yeah. They liked like the behind the stage stuff. Right. And the The rehearsal stuff I could use. So
2: this is just like extra. Oh, by the way, this is an extra concert you can't use.
1: Right. They just filmed it. Right. You know, um, because they were there. We're having these legal issues with some of the songs. So I had to take out four to five pieces of music that we originally were okay, thought we could use and the lawyer's saying you shouldn't use it anymore. So, we were well, I mean, the you know, the producer was pretty upset.
2: Oh, absolutely. You're you're creating holes in what you've already, you know, thought was finished. I mean, that is very upsetting. And
1: and also he he's really in love with the movie. Right. You know, and he always tells me, you know, that he thinks what I did was a masterpiece and he hates chopping at it with an axe you want an editor who actually knows the business right who knows who can come up with ideas to help you because a producer may not necessarily have every good idea necessary to get something done right so i'm sitting there and talking to him about our options and i was like look let me just take one more pass at all of the musical footage, I had a sequence of all the music. I saw that piece that I was never supposed to use. And um, I don't know, it was the perfect style. It was the perfect tone. It was the right vibes. Right. Because I had four different vibes of music I had to cover. And you
2: asked him, what is that song?
1: I said, okay, look, I I've, I've found a little trove of music, like right. about 20, 30 minutes of music. It's perfect. Um, what is it? Right. I was just told never to use it. He was like, holy crap. (laughs) He was like, we actually, because we use this, a piece of this music from like a CD later. Right. We actually secured the rights from the composer and we can use this whole opera.
2: So this whole piece of music that was unavailable to you actually really was available to you now.
1: And it's like saving the movie and he (laughs) I don't know if he cried you told me
2: he cried
1: well it sure sounded like he got pretty emotional (laughs) because he admitted he he was just kind of shocked that I had I I don't know taken the time or found the solution or whatever but he was just kind of like very verklempt and like you know I had made he had been depressed ever since the lawyer had shut it down you know and he he was just ecstatic. So that was really cool because that's a win. I just thought to myself, you know, whenever you're competing for gigs, you know, and you're doing quotes and you feel like you have to compete, like how cheaply somebody else will do something. And it just reminded me of my own worth. Right. That... Not every single editor in the world is going to fight for a project and, and foster and advocate and care.
2: Well, it, it reminds me of like whenever you watch those uh, like World War II or World War I movies or whatever. And they always have like all of the generals that are in the tent. Right. And they're all like huddled around a map or something. And they're, you know, and they're and they're trying to figure out the problem. They're trying to figure out the battle. Whatever. Outside the tent you have a bunch of soldiers. These are people that are going to do whatever those generals decide to do. You want people that are in the tent, okay? Whenever you are hiring somebody, an editor or an AD or a sec, you want as many people in the tent as possible because they have a vested interest in how this is going to work out. How many souls are we going to save in this battle? A lot of people basically treat everything and everyone like they're just a soldier for them. You know, they're a tool that they use. And you are basically, you're in the tent by yourself.
1: Right. (laughs) And and you're looking outside of the soldiers and saying, hey, I need some help here. And they're like... Soldiers are like, I don't do that. That's not what I I do. do." Yes, exactly. tell me what to do. Yeah,
2: and pay me to do it.
1: And it's like, (laughs) I don't know what to do, you know. But it was really cool because I have been on the project for so long and I have, you know, gone through lots of iterations and lots of fixing things and, and editing things that are not even the movie.
2: You have to be careful that you don't get so concerned about your daily bread, about, like, making your money, that you're really not caring that much about... I guess your portfolio, like what you're creating.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a that's kind of a thing you can get into, and and I mean, like you can make money. Like you can absolutely make money, and you can like even if I work on like corporate stuff. I I don't. I hate to think that there's some sort of elitism between like you know people who are working on films as opposed to people who are working corporate or people who are working in doc. You know, as long as you're completing. Yeah, completing stuff, you're learning new things, you're, you know...
2: Taking... You're adding your flavor to it, too. Right, right. You know, I I remember you did a bunch of uh, a corporate work and it was on uh, w- dentistry. It, w- it, it was yeah, on... Yeah, it was
1: for the dental market. Right.
2: Yeah. And, but you were really proud of the work because you had learned a lot about graphics and a lot about how to create visuals and things like that. Through that process.
1: I think I brought a narrative flair to that corporate stuff. It wasn't just some cookie cutter that somebody would churn out, you know, basically a high class PowerPoint presentation. You know, I really focused on bringing story and heart to (laughs) dry dentistry, corporate information.
2: So here's a, a question. Do you have to care for it to be good? I mean, can you just basically despise a project uh, and it, and, still, and still make it good?
1: I think you can. Okay. I think you can. The problem is sometimes it's the people that you're working with that are making you despise a project. Okay. You know, and to me... Let's not
2: name names. No.
1: To me... <laughs> And I'm thinking of a specific thing, but to me, whenever someone is so just sold out to the way they want things, right? but not because it's the best idea, just because it's, they feel like they should have the ultimate say, and you're, you provide them with options and alternatives and Mm -hmm. ways to do something interesting, and they just, they want it their way, um... That can be really creatively frustrating.
2: Yeah. Just the uh, the notion that if something is not coming directly from my mind, yeah. Yeah. that means that uh, in some way it's less.
1: Well, and it's like, yeah, it's like ego in control. Right. It's like. Um, ego is
2: the enemy of art.
1: It's only <laughs> my, if it's. If it's coming from me, you know, if it's my idea, that's the only way that this is actually mine. Which is like so not what filmmaking is. It's collaboration. You know, it's taking other people's ideas and translating them through yourself and creating a new product. I actually worked with a director on a documentary for a while. At the end of it, uh, they showed it around and it was not getting a good response. Meanwhile one of my other documentaries was on PBS and the director tuned in and watched that Mm -hmm. so they came to me and said I saw your other documentary on PBS right it's amazing
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and my documentary is not right and I have to think that I'm the problem in this and I want to just hand it back to
2: you and have you do what you would do 100% that was exactly the right way to look at that
0: Thanks to our sponsor, Movie Mode Merch, the graphic t-shirt store to outfit you for your next film set. Be the person wearing the t-shirt everyone asks, hey, where'd you get that shirt? Cast and crew alike love these inside jokes and filmmaking-inspired designs. Check them out on Insta at Movie Mode Merch.
1: I had all these notions you know to make it more entertaining to make it more you know visual and i would always get shut down so right you know i did i did fix it and then they came back and then we fixed it you know the rest of the way together
2: when somebody shows you something and it is in a amorphous state, you know, whether or not it's uh, like a first cut of something, more likely than not, they're going to show you a script and they're going to ask you, here, what do you think of this? What you say at that point is so uh, important because the most useless thing you can do is just say, I like it or I don't like it.
1: I was talking to this guy that uh, asked me to read a script and I was like, you know, I'm sure that you've got plenty of feedback like... I like it. It's funny. You know. Right. I'm sure you've heard all of that. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you the feedback that I would appreciate. Right. The co- like somewhere that I saw that the character was acting in an inconsistent way. Some well, questions th- I had. Well, yeah.
2: There was, uh, there was a moment in a, a recent script that I read where uh, a character said, uh, don't give me the silent treatment. And you pointed out that they had already spoken. So it was kind of like, it didn't make sense. So you needed to start uh, the scene with the character saying, don't give me the silent treatment. And then the other character could speak.
1: Well, don't talk for like two or three pages and then say, don't give me the silent treatment. Say the silent treatment thing first.
2: Or, right, or you could just basically assume that those two or three pages happened beforehand. And if you're just like driving around and then you have 10 seconds of silence and then the character says, When are you going to stop with the silent treatment? The audience understands what happened. Mm,
1: No, not really. Because they would, the the other pages would have had to have been them having some sort of disagreement that would lead to a silent treatment.
2: But you could say, in uh, the rest of the scene, you can basically allude to the fact of what was already described.
1: I would lead off with a silent treatment or I would cut the line because it's useless.
2: Mm. I mean, right now, I believe I have like four or five different scripts I'm supposed to be looking at for different people.
1: I'm always (laughs) supposed to be reading a script to give I know. It's crazy.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) First of all, separate myself from the fact of, do I even like this or not? Like, is this my kind of thing? Okay? Because that doesn't really matter, you know? I mean, whether or not...
1: You're judging it based on the thing that it is. Yes. Not not the thing
2: that you like or the
1: thing that you want.
2: I have nothing to do with that. You know, is this my, you know, genre or whatever? Setting that aside, I just want to get the person thinking, you know, I just want to get them kind of considering, okay, in uh, the last feedback I gave, I said, you know, what is sort of the through line? What is the backstory? What is it that you're trying to say? And I gave her like a list of uh, of questions like, could it be this question? Could it be this question? Could it be this question? I don't know if any of those are what uh, she had in mind, but what I want to get her to do, you know, is to consider that. Then she will go off on her own. It's, I'm not a co-writer. So all I want to get somebody do to do is just, sometimes you're just kind of like, uh, okay, I've gotten up to this point and... You know, it's sort of like the end of Castaway. You know, do I go left, right, you know, right or center, you know, and you're sitting in the middle of the crossroads and all you want to do is basically let the person know what could be, you know, the different directions, you know, that I believe that's what happens with the, uh, the lady, uh, in the truck. Remember, uh, he asks her, uh, and she says, well, if you go this way, it will take you all the way to Canada. You go because this way. way. and go
1: to town or Yeah, however.
2: exactly. But he should have gone back the other way because she was the lady with the angels and they probably should have ended up together. But, you know, that's... Is that the
1: point? I think
2: it's that's the point.
1: I thought it was just to symbolize that he, you know, he was on the right road. He was finally where he was supposed to be at the moment he was supposed to be there.
2: Well, that's not the way I took it. I took it that basically that... He didn't know where to go. That basically whole, he had been broke. He had been broken by what had happened to him, and now he was com- he was still adrift. He was Absolutely. still stuck on an island.
1: Absolutely, but now he was going to actually go with what life had in store.
2: And he should have followed the really pretty lady with the angel oh, yeah, wings on the back the, of her truck. The
1: ultimate goal in life is just to hook up with some chick. <laughs>
2: God. the ultimate goal in life is to find someone whenever
1: oh look whenever he to comes find back,
2: a connection when
1: he when he goes to Helen Hunt's house right and they have this it's like a movie into itself. It's kind of broken off from the style of the rest of the movie, even, mm-hmm. you know, and the rain and giving him his, you know, Bronco back or whatever. And right. like It's so that whole section is so beautiful and heartbreaking and complex. Mm-hmm. I love
2: it. And here's the thing. Sometimes you're reading a script and it becomes like uh, you read Torture. like 10... 10- Yeah, it becomes torture. Yeah, you're reading like you start with 10 pages and you're like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore.
1: This is the first 15 pages. It's like the first few seconds of a song. Right. If you're giving me like, you know, something that sounds really boring, you can't dance to it, it's not, it's like dissident. Right. Like, why? Why? It's the first 15 pages. It should be the best pages in the damn script. You know,
2: that's a really interesting analogy that you just uh, almost made. (laughs) <laughs> but let me but, <laughs> but let me you were almost really eloquent uh, you know you almost no you almost you almost nailed it there because I because I just saw that if you imagine that when you ever you start a song and the song is establishing a groove it's establishing a beat it's establishing a mood uh-huh. okay but what are you waiting for in that song
1: the chorus.
2: Or, or at least the singer to start. Yeah, yeah. The you know you're waiting for the first verse.
1: Yeah, but but you're and then
2: and then you're waiting for and then if you get through all that, you you get to the chorus.
1: Well, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and 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 that's what the that's what those first pages are. You got to create this mood. You got to create this groove, and then I have to care. Like, what is this song about?
1: Where is this going? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to hear more.
2: Right. And then I need a hook. Yeah. You know, I need a hook with a chorus. Yeah. And if I don't like the hook, you know, I'm probably going to be like, eh, I don't think I want to keep listening to this or I don't want to keep reading this. You know, we use terms like, okay, good writing, bad writing, this script is trash, wh- whatever.
1: Connective.
2: Yeah. I mean, Does it connect with your
1: audience?
2: Yeah. Is there is there an emotional connection? Is there a character that I care about? About
1: a friend of ours, um, who we've worked with, um, his his new screenplay starts with just a great scene. It's just an iconically great scene, and the whole first section. Don't don't say or don't try to figure out who. No, it I'm is. trying to figure out who it is. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I was uh, reading uh, a short film, and it was by a screenwriter who had written a feature that I think is fantastic, but. For some reason, in this short film, which had kind of a a little bit of a Rod Serling vibe to it, uh, everything felt like it was all trying to get all this information out. And that's one of the ways that you can really judge bad writing in in anything, is when there is an agenda. And all of a sudden everybody wants to, well, we got to say this and you've got to give this little piece of backstory and all of, all of this has got to, yes, absolutely. You know
1: it when you see it in in a script or in a show or in a movie where the characters only ever say what's absolutely necessary to unfold the plot. Right. And you're just like, these are basically plot robots. We
2: call, (laughs) uh, Tracy and I call it on the nose you know.
1: Well, it is on the nose. Yeah,
2: it's like exactly... We don't call it
1: on the nose. It's on the damn nose. It's on
2: the damn nose. Okay? Like a rubber nose for a clown. Yeah. It's very obvious.
1: I also had a call at like 10 45 and um, it was uh, a friend and someone that I help, I guess, kind of as a mentor from time to time. Right. Uh, I've also like hired her to work on our sets and She's putting together a pitch deck for something. Right. And she's got a producer and the producer had given her a bunch of notes mm-hmm. on the pitch deck. And I don't know who this producer is, but I disagreed with like all of it. Oh, geez. <laughs> well, I mean, if, you, if you're if you going to write it, once you have the idea or write the script or whatever, you have to promote the idea. So you have to have like your pitch deck, right?
2: Well, a pitch deck is almost like, uh, imagine if somebody tells you, okay, we want to, pitch deck for something. That's like saying we want a graphic novel, okay? And people are going to have different tastes well, they of don't what a graphic a novel, novel is.
1: they don't want a novel. Yeah, but
2: they want, you know, they want visuals. They want, you, know, oh, you know, but some people like want more visuals and some people want more well, uh, description and some people, you know. The
1: thing is that what, what happens, I think, um, is that the pitch deck has to be interesting enough about your idea and the Kind of artist you are to make them want to read the thing that you created first. Right. It's like a trailer. Yes. for A movie.
2: Yeah. It's like it's like everything leads to everything else. You start with the title. Okay. The title that makes me interested enough. Now I go down to well,
1: the she, log line. She had been. Given, oh, okay.
2: That okay. That has me interested. Now I read the synopsis. Okay. That's got me. Okay. The,
1: Who's involved? Are they any good? Right. What right. What have they done? And then
2: the synopsis leads me to. The pitch deck or the lookbook, you know?
1: So we ran the concept through ChatGPT and asked it for 20 show names. Right. And we actually came up with one. It had good a little was It was a cool name. And I was like, look, we don't have to commit to, you don't have to commit to the name right this second. Right. We just need something for the pitch deck that's representative. Right. As the project goes, right. you may decide to change it. Yeah. This is not a marriage. This is just a tentatively titled situation. Exactly. So you know, and and I don't know why this person gave her the advice that she couldn't use pictures from other things because she didn't have the rights to them.
2: Oh man, that's stupid.
1: Yeah, that's really stupid. That's
2: massively stupid. I I've mean, <coughs> seen, I've
1: seen pitch decks for massive films, huge
2: films, Absolutely. and
1: they take stills from other movies. Absolutely. To say this is like this is what we
2: want our movie to look like. Right. I, we we were watching somebody's uh, a re- and all of a sudden there was like all of this stuff and I was like oh my god what they worked with this person and this person and this person and this person and at the end it said no this was a basically a sizzle for uh, a, a potential of another movie and I am a mid-journey girl
1: okay I was an early adopter and I'm sure they all have valid you know reasons to be used but I'm mid-journey and and It was like a really a 4-3 kind of dimension. Right. And I needed it to fill the whole screen. And I have the, you know, the beta test version of Photoshop, which has the generative fill tool now. And I was like, well, you know, this this comes up a lot. I mean, especially working with archival footage. Mm -hmm. Or, well, not footage, because you can't do video yet, I don't think. Um, Which, that will be the final frontier. Oh, yeah. When you can do generative fills on video
2: basically that's when we have holodecks
1: yeah when we have <laughs> so uh just the still photos that i was making in mid-journey i put them over in photoshop and was like i just need this image to fill the screen now right so i did a dinner to fill and i was like a gas i right could not believe how amazing it was it made me think of all the films i've made prior to this that had let's say like n- photos from the 1940s right that didn't fill the screen mm-hmm. and you were always creatively trying to figure out a way for them not just to be black all around a photo right, right.
2: I, I i remember what you would do uh on that particular project you're talking about is you would have a blurred version well, of the became, photo as the background and then you put the photo in the middle of it.
1: Yeah, that became like a thing that was really popular on Facebook or, you know, where you would... Or, or yeah, yeah, like the Dodo, you know, some of those, like, uh, video, like viral videos. Right. They didn't fill the whole screen because they had been shot in the wrong ratio, so they right. just blew up and blurred the right. video behind it. Right. And now, like, people are like... <sighs> they're totally against that. So, um
2: but now it's it's expanding the photo. It's making the photo bigger. It's like that's what it, it's filling all of this space and all of the information in that did not exist.
1: Yeah, and not only that but like you can replace things. You know, like I was working on uh, some photos that my uh, little sister had sent me from her wedding. Where it's like a beautiful picture of her and her father and her father's crying. But there's cars in the parking lot all in the background. Right. So, boom. Refill that and make it trees. There you go. I mean, it's amazing. And I just like was like retroactively going through in my head all the ways I could have been using this.
2: Don't do it. No. No. And I'm
1: so excited. For not only where we're at and all of the things I can apply it to now, but also in the future, knowing it's only going to get better.
2: Do not worry about the democratization of art. Do not worry about AI. Do not worry about any of it because ideas rule.
1: Well, and and I think it's cool that even people who it's out of reach for, it could be in reach of now.
2: I love that. I love that, that somebody who would have no opportunities, who is has a brilliant imagination can now actually show that and present that to the world. Yeah, that's going to create more competition. Absolutely. Okay. The playing field is going to be uh, evened out for everybody. So get on your game and get better at what you do. That, you know, and, you know, don't be a hater.
1: Well, we, uh, on another podcast, we should talk about like finding the thing you are good at, the thing that's specific and unique to you that you're good at.
2: I think that's a good idea. Let's do that tomorrow.
0: It's hard not to get romantic about movies. Thanks for listening to Married to Movies. John and Tracy will meet you for breakfast tomorrow. Thanks to our sponsor, Movie Mode Merch, comfortable graphic tees made by and for awesome filmmakers to wear on set and off. Check them out on Insta at Movie Mode Merch.